Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages. Amen. Today, dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate the Divine Liturgy on the 29th of the Coptic month of Tudes. And as I've told you before, the 29th of most Coptic months is very special because our Mother, the Holy Church, in her wisdom, commemorates the great feasts of the Annunciation, Nativity, and Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this commemoration on the 29th of every Coptic month, with the exception of two months, Tuba and Amshir. And when we think about these three great feasts, the Annunciation, Nativity, and Resurrection, we see in all of them God's divine plan for our salvation. In the Annunciation, we celebrate how God sent the Holy Archangel Gabriel to the Holy Virgin Mary to announce that the Word, the second person of the Holy Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, would take flesh from her. In the Feast of the Nativity, we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah to save his people. And finally, in the Feast of the Resurrection, we celebrate our Lord's glorious victory over death and the power of death over us through His own life-giving death and resurrection. All of these feasts commemorate events that were part of God's divine plan for us. How was it possible for God to take flesh, to submit Himself to death, and then to raise himself from the dead. These things are beyond human knowledge, and for this reason the Church rightly calls them mysteries. They are above human understanding, and even above the understanding of the angels in heaven. And although we can never truly understand these wonderful events, we know that we are recipients of divine grace through them. The Holy Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So all of us today have a measure of grace from Christ through his life-giving work in these great feasts. So what then is left? What then is left for us? What is left for us, dear brothers and sisters, is to respond. What is left for us is to look at this grace that God has given us and to respond, to strive towards a perfect Christian life. The grace God has given us through his plan of salvation is a divine gift. But what is the purpose of that divine gift if it is not converted into a life that is pleasing? To God. Our Mother, the Holy Church, in her wisdom, gives us practical instructions for living this perfect Christian life every morning. In the first hour of the Agbeya, which is the Coptic Orologion, our Coptic hourly prayers, we have a passage from Ephesians chapter 4 in which the Holy Apostle teaches us. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
This is the plan of the pure Christian life. That should be our response to God every single day. And we can look at each part of this plan and learn a little bit about how we are to conduct our lives. The first item in this plan of perfect Christian life is, of course, love. When the Holy Apostle Paul introduces himself as the prisoner of the Lord, he is expressing his steadfast love for our Lord Jesus Christ. He would rather be a prisoner of the Lord in love rather than be a free man living with the honor of the rulers of this world. This steadfast love of our Lord Jesus Christ leads to the development of all of the other virtues. As St. Jerome said in one of his works, from love is born all that is good. From love comes every other good thing. When we love God, when we love our Lord Jesus Christ, this love will naturally flow to those around us. And we see, this in the, we see this principle in the famous meditation on the cross as a symbol of love. We now see the cross as love. And what we notice about the cross is that it is made out of two beams that are inseparably joined. And we notice that one of the beams is vertical, representing the love between God and man, man and God. But the other beam is horizontal, representing our love for one another. And those two beams, those two ways of love, are inseparable. Those two ways, dear brothers and sisters, represent pure and perfect Christian love. The second item in this plan that we read about every morning from Ephesians Ephesians 4 is lowliness or humility. Lowliness or humility. And when we think about these three great feasts that we are commemorating today, we see our Lord's unfathomable humility in all of them. In the feasts of the Annunciation and Nativity, for example, we see our Lord who is seated upon the cherubim and worshipped by the seraphim. We see how he emptied himself and he condescended And he assumed our human flesh, our humanity, in order to save us. What can be more humble than the omnipotent God taking the weak form of his own creation for our salvation? The Lord's humility did not stop at the incarnation and the birth, but rather continued throughout his ministry on earth. He gave us the perfect example of humility and he asked us to follow this example in Matthew 11 when he said, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. St. John Chrysostomus, our father among the saints, he focuses on these words, lowly in heart, when he teaches us that we cannot be humble simply in our words or in our external deeds but rather we must be humble from the heart. Our humility must come from the heart. Humility cannot be shown, for example, when we're outside in church, but then when we're home alone with our family, we don't have humility. Rather, humility must be a state 
of our heart. And we must truly see ourselves for who we are in our hearts. And then we will manifest humility to everyone, whether a friend or an enemy, whether someone who is considered by the world to be important or not important. The third item in this plan of the perfect Christian life is gentleness. You will remember that gentleness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit described by the Holy Apostle in Galatians 5.22. And we notice in the passage that I quoted just now from Matthew 11 that gentleness and humility accompany each other. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. A person who is full of pride oftentimes exalts himself over others in an abusive way. And this maltreatment of others comes from a lack of humility and an abundance of pride. However, when a person is truly lowly in heart, he sees himself as being less than those around him. And therefore, he treats everyone gently, acknowledging in his heart that they are greater than him. There is a famous story of one of the uh, ascetics, Ava Antony, who was praying in his cell for many hours and fasting for many days. And he was told by an angel, you have not reached the level of perfection as a certain man in a city of Alexandria. And so Ava Antony wanted to learn the life of perfection from this man living in the city. So he went to Alexandria. He found this man who was an old shoe cobbler and he watched him the whole day. The whole day, the man didn't necessarily pray the whole time. He wasn't fasting the whole time. He seemed to be normal, a normal man doing normal work. So Ava Antony was confused. And as he was about to leave, the angel appeared to him and said, watch. And at that moment, a procession walked by this man of actors and actresses. And you should understand that back in those days, to be an actor or actress was actually something immoral. It was something considered to be sinful. And the people who worked in that, that occupation were oftentimes living a sinful life. So when this procession walked by this man, he stood up bowed his head very low and he began to weep and he began to pray saying lord i know that every single one of these will inherit the kingdom before me and when ava antony saw this he realized this is what made this man living in a city greater than him a monk living in the wilderness and fasting and praying every day it was because of the lowliness of his heart and his gentleness. And we know, of course, that to be gentle, there are many degrees of gentleness. Uh, for example, the first degree of gentleness entails not repaying evil with evil. That's the first level of being gentle. Beyond that, there's a second level, which is not repaying evil with evil and controlling yourself in terms of how you feel on the inside. That's a second greater level. And even beyond that, there's a third and more perfect level, which is not repaying evil for evil, maintaining your inner peace, and at the same time, praying for the person who has hurt you. 
As with any virtue, there are levels. And we pray that if we're on the first level of any virtue, we pray that God helps us to grow, to reach the second, third, and the more perfect level of whatever virtue we are striving for. The fourth item in this plan of Christian perfection is patience. If you learn the virtue of humility and faith, then you learn not to be afraid of evil and suffering. But if you learn the virtue of patience, then you learn how to deal with evil and suffering in the world. St. Cyril of Alexandria teaches us that patience is a supplier and winner of all good to us. Patience is necessary in light of inevitable tribulation, as the Holy Scripture teaches us. My child, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare your soul for tribulation, set your heart aright, and be steadfast and endure. Thus, it is for us, through faith and humility, not to fear tribulation, and through patience, to be able to endure tribulation with steadfast hope in our Lord and His ability to deliver us. Patience is not only concerned with enduring tribulation, but also waiting for the Lord to deliver us at the right time. I'm sure some of you heard the story uh, during the vigil of the Holy Theotokos. I will repeat it again because it's a good illustrator of this point. There was a young man in Egypt during the 1968 Arab-Israeli War. And you remember that Egypt was at war with Israel. And this young man was the only Christian in his battalion. And his mother was a very simple woman, barely able to read and write. And before the war began in earnest, she wanted to pray for her son and to encourage him. So she sent him a very simply written piece of paper with a quotation from a psalm. And the psalm was, was the one that said, The Lord God of Israel shall be your defender. Now when the higher-ups in the Egyptian army saw this psalm, they began to wonder, Are you a spy for Israel? Why is your mother saying the God of Israel will be your defender? And they became very suspicious, and they threw this soldier, this Christian soldier, they threw him in prison. For seven days in prison, he suffered greatly. He was tortured, he was electrocuted, he was denied food, and he suffered. And at the end of the seven days, they came and they opened up the door of the jail cell, and they said, you are free to go. And he asked them, what happened? Why am I free to go all of a sudden? And they said to him, everyone in your battalion went out into the battle and they were all killed. Your entire battalion was wiped out. So in the end, it was the God of Israel who protected that young man, but not in the way that we imagined. We imagine that we're going to pray and then go into the battle and the bullets are going to fly off of us. But God saw a different plan. God saw that by allowing him to be imprisoned, even though he was tortured, but that seven-day imprisonment ultimately saved his life. And that is what patience is all about. It's by suffering, but at the same time knowing that God sees the big picture and that God will deliver us at the right 
time. The fifth item in this plan of perfect Christian life is maintaining the spirit and the bond of peace. We are all united together in the Holy Church with Christ as our head. As one Orthodox saint said, the Church is Christ, His body existing in history. Just as the early Christian communities gathered around the bishop or the presbyter to celebrate the Eucharist, we are held together today by the mystery of the Eucharist in our parish churches. The Holy Apostle teaches us, we who are men are one loaf, one body, because we all partake from the one loaf. The Eucharist is what holds us together. We are bound together in the unity of the Spirit whenever we approach the Holy Altar and we receive the body and blood of Christ offered for the sake of our sins. And every time we leave the church, St. John Chrysostomus teaches us, when you're done serving the altar of the Lord, go out and serve the altar of the world. And we maintain our unity outside of the church through our prayer, through our fasting, through our service to one another. This is important, dear brothers and sisters, that we maintain this bond of peace. Dear brothers and sisters, as we commemorate these holy feasts, remember that we were created for a purpose. We were created for the purpose of living the faith and making it an active part of our human existence. We were created, as St. Athanasius teaches us in his work on the Incarnation, out of the lavish abundance of God's goodness and love to the end that our activities might reflect these godly qualities. We were created to partake of the glory of God, which is the productive aim of our every action as Christians. As Saint Irenaeus of Lyon expresses it, in all that we do, we strive to share in God's divinity. And thus, according to the words of Saint Gregory, the theologian, our saint, that we are to transform by our lives, actions, and Christian witness, this world and everything that is in this world. God has given us a divine gift of grace through his incarnation, his birth, and his resurrection from the dead. So let us today commit ourselves to respond to this gift. Let us say thank you to God for this gift by living the pure and perfect Christian life. It's never too late to begin. The thief on the right hand of our Lord began at the moment of his crucifixion and a few moments before his death. That's when he began and our Lord said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late to begin. Don't despair. You can start even today. St. John Cassian reminds us that God, when he sees within us the beginning of a good action or a good uh, um, uh, desire, he will enlighten it and strengthen it and help increase it until it helps us uh, receive our salvation. May God grant us the strength and wisdom to strive 
to the pure and perfect Christian life so that we may live for him and in him all the days of our lives and glory be to our Lord, glory to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit now and forever and unto the age of all ages. Amen.